Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I just love that song that we just sang. It's been speaking to my heart a lot lately, and I love those lyrics there. Uh, Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Open up my eyes in wonder. That's like having an epiphany, right? I had an epiphany this past summer. Anybody out there ever had an epiphany? in your life, you know what I'm saying? It's like all of a sudden you realize something, not just intellectually, but kind of in your whole entire being. Your metaphorical, maybe your even physical eyes are opened, as we kind of saying, in wonder. And you can see things clearly. And you know exactly what reality is. You know exactly what you need to do and who you need to be. Now, you might be wondering, where did I have this epiphany? And this epiphany I had this past summer, I can tell you, I could feel like it was just yesterday. My heart was racing about 300 beats per minute. I was completely exhausted. And for a brief moment, I had my life flash before my eyes, even my children's lives flash before my eyes. Because you see, I was fixated on one thing. I was focused on one thing. I was going in one direction. I had one goal and one reality. And then I had my epiphany. And I was smacked back into reality. My eyes were opened. My eyes were focused on one hope, and I'm going to tell you what the hope was. It's right here. See this? Anybody know what this is? It's a beach ball, right? Can anybody read the word right there? It says hope, right? It says hope on the beach ball. So I had my epiphany, you see, in the middle of Newport Harbor, surrounded by huge yachts with propellers that could shred me to pieces. You see, I had a goal this past summer of taking my kids to the beach at least four times. One of my kids is one of those preschoolers. Hold on, my friends. They're coming soon. you got to bear with me a few more minutes, all right? One of my kids is one of those preschoolers. and She's going to be up here in a second with all the other ones. I know you got to wait a bit longer, but the first time we went to the beach this past summer with my preschooler and my other two daughters, we went to the real beach, the big beach with the big waves, right? And when you take a 35-pound preschooler to the big beach with the big waves, it doesn't always go too well, right? Like, the legs get sweeped out, and all of a sudden you're like, where's my kid, right? So the following times, we went to Mother's Beach. And I don't know if you've ever been to Mother's Beach. You know where that is, Mother's Beach? Yeah, Newport Beach, past the pier, not on the ocean side, but on the harbor side. Basically, Mother's Beach is uh, basically like a swimming pool, right, with ropes around it to mark off the swim zone so the boats don't come in, and you don't go past the swim zone, right? You don't go out in the boat area. You're not supposed to swim out there. There's no waves. It's great for preschoolers. It's great for the parents. Parents can sit and chill out under the umbrella. It's completely uh, safe there. They have lifeguards. And it's completely safe until the wind picks up, right? The wind picks up and takes one of these free beach balls you got somewhere that doesn't cost anything. And my daughter yells, Papa! And points to the beach ball drifting to the swim zone rope. So what did I do, as any good father would do? I, in all my heroic fatherly love, I ripped off my shirt, blinded a few people. I ran all David Hasselhoff style down to the beach, dove into the huge waves at Mother's Beach there, and I was swimming with my dear life to get the beach bonds. I don't know about you. I don't really know how to swim like the real way. I know how to sprint swim, and I can't do the whole like side breathing thing, so I said, I'm just not going to breathe. I'm going to go swim fast. For this thing, I'm swimming like crazy, right? And the beach ball is getting closer to the swim zone rope. 
but I'm almost there. I can do this, right? It takes it past the swim zone rope. It's only about five feet. I go under the swim zone rope. It's only about five more feet. My hand touches the beach ball. I'm almost there. I keep going five more feet, maybe ten more feet. I go a little further. I can get it. I can get it. I know I can do this. I'm totally winded. I'm totally exhausted. I don't have enough oxygen in the situation, in my whole system, right? And I look up, and I see this word, hope on the beach ball. I'm telling you, I couldn't make this thing up, right? And that is when I had my epiphany. And I looked around, and there I am in the middle of the Newport Beach Harbor, right? And I had this epiphany. I heard a voice that said, what in the world are you doing, Michael Hayes? Open your eyes. Is this really worth it? Are you going to sacrifice yourself for this beach ball that you got for free? You have another one just like it, which is the one you're looking at right here. <laughs> and I heard the voice say, let it go. It's just like those lyrics, that awesome song we were just singing. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. When I saw that word hope on the beach ball, my eyes were opened up to those around me because back on the shore, those three children I left back there, one of them's name was Hope. My daughter, Hope, and her two sisters were sitting there on the beach looking at their crazy dad like, what are you doing? You shouldn't sacrifice yourself, Michael, for a beach ball. You need to sacrifice your life for your daughter, Hope, and Mary, and Hannah, the sisters back there on the beach. They need a father more than they need a free beach ball. And I let the beach ball go. It went off in the wind. I made myself back. I backstroked it back. I barely made it. Thank goodness the 13-year-old lifeguard didn't have to come and save me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, man, I got back to that shore. The the heartbeat was going like 200 beats per minute for at least three hours. My kids were like, what's wrong with you? I said, your father needs to get in shape, man. Get in shape. I could go on. It was a funny story. It's a crazy day. But it totally got me thinking. Like, in big ways, not only do I have the epiphany I need to get in shape, but it got me thinking sometimes we sacrifice ourselves for the completely wrong things. We sacrifice ourselves for things that we think are going to give us life. We sacrifice our things for false hope. And it reminded me that real hope is back on the shore. Real hope is found in sacrificial love to those around us. In fact, sacrificial love is the foundation and the center of every bit of life, of faith, and trust. In fact, the story of Ruth, which is what we're looking at during our series this week, our Old Testament person for the week, it's a story just about that. It's a story about sacrificial love for another human being. Ruth's story is found in the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters, taking 15 minutes to read. And the story starts out with a a woman named Naomi. Naomi and her two uh, sons and her husband, they were from Bethlehem in Judah. And they lived in this land, and land wasn't going through good times. It was hard financially for them, so it was famine time. So they went and they moved to Moab because they were struggling in these hard times. Over in Moab, Naomi's husband died. But her two sons married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Ten years later, her two sons die. And so Naomi's living in this foreign land. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And in a patriarchal society, she lost social standing, financial stability. Her whole entire world was rocked. She's demoralized. She's empty. She's hopeless. But in the midst of this, she kind of hears that things may be getting back better in Bethlehem. And so she says, I'm going to go home. 
And she told Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, go back to your family, she said. Orpah did, but Ruth said, in the midst of crying and sadness, Ruth remained with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She said to Naomi these powerful verses, Ruth chapter 1. She said, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. Even death separates you and me. Powerful words. Powerful words of sacrificial love and commitment spoken from one human being to another. You may have heard them at a wedding before. Those words are often shared. They're talking about loving another human being. These words of radical trust in the Lord. That in the midst of her own grief of losing her own husband, she leaves her biological family behind. She leaves her culture behind. She leaves financial stability behind. She leaves the only place she's ever known as home behind. And she leaves it all for her mother-in-law to go to an unknown place, an unknown people, an unknown culture, an unknown future. She demonstrates a radical trust that the Lord is going to be with her on this anxiety-inducing journey. Ruth was called to selflessly love Naomi, and she radically trusted the Lord to be with her every fear-filled step of the way. And we look at Ruth's story. Ruth's story, it's not an American story. It's not an American individualism story. It's a God story. It's a story of sacrificial love and commitment. It's a story of letting the beach ball go, letting it drift off, and opening up your eyes back to the shore to those around you. And when Ruth loves Naomi this way, I mean, she's, her love for her, the, the rumors go about, and it's good rumors, right? It's a contagious story. They get back to Bethlehem, and this guy named Boaz who lives in Bethlehem, he heard about Ruth and her sacrifice for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she says she went out to look for work. Boaz says, you can come and glean in my field. And he takes care of her and gives her of the harvest. And he's really kind to her. And so Ruth says to Boaz, she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? I'm a foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland. You came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Her example of sacrificial love, it brought the best out of Boaz. And when you, long story short, you get to the end of the book, Boaz ends up redeeming Naomi. Naomi's family, her, her dead husband's property. He ends up marrying Ruth. He put his whole entire estate at risk so that he could redeem this family. And at the end of the day, hope was restored. Ruth and Boaz, they both let go of the beach ball and they focused on loving those around them. It's such a cool story. And you look at the whole story, you read it. I hope you'll do that this week with your life groups. Ruth and Boaz, they lived happily ever after. They ended up having a baby. His name is Obed. Obed was eventually a preschooler. They're coming. Hold on. Obed, stick with me one more minute, all right? Obed ended up being grandfather to King David. King David, the great ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. 
And we see in Ruth's story an act of selfless, sacrificial love by a poverty-stricken, grieving, foreign woman in a patriarchal, male-dominated world. And because of her selfless, sacrificial act of love, it led eventually to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Talk about an awesome story. And you look, you fast forward about a thousand years later after Ruth, and you hear these words from John chapter 3, verse 16. You hear the story of Jesus and God the Father. For God the Father, he so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ruth and Boaz, their sacrificial love to those around them was ultimately rooted in God's love for them. They sought refuge in God's protection of them, and it all pointed forward to Jesus. And when you see that whole story on play over a thousand plus years, it brings about an epiphany. Those lyrics we just sang, open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are, God. Fill me with your sacrificial heart. Lead me to your sacrificial love. In that love, lead me to those around me. See, the power behind sacrificially loving another human being is to first receive that great love from God. And there is, you need to hear this, some of you in the room, I know you need to hear this, that there is nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you are doing right now, nothing that you could ever do in the future that would stop the Heavenly Father loving you, sacrificing for you, granting his mercy and his grace for you. That's the way of Jesus. And when you receive that sort of love into your life, it is contagious. And you want to give it away like Ruth did and like Boaz And so this morning, we're kind of left with a question. Who are those around us that God is calling us to love sacrificially? For some of you, it actually could be your mother-in-law, like Ruth to Naomi. For some of you, it could be a poor foreigner, like Boaz did to Ruth. Who is it? I'd like to argue, though, that for all of us today, that I know part of that answer to that question. You're going to see up here about 90 little ones in just a moment. God is leading us to love them. Every one of us in the room is called to love these preschoolers sacrificially, not focusing on ourselves but focusing on them. Whether you're related to them in the room or not, we as a church at St. John's, we know that God has called us to love our preschoolers. We know that God has called us to let go of the metaphorical beach ball in the middle of Newport Harbor and give up materiality, to give up self, to give up self-image, to give up American individualism, to give up a false picture of hope. We are called to let the wind take it away. Christ took it all away on that very cross. And because of that, we are called back to the shore. We are called back to Bethlehem. We are called back to a sacrificial life of radical trust and fearless faith. He's calling us. His name is Jesus. He's inviting every one of us in the room into his mission. Mission to our preschoolers and beyond. To really live out an epiphany. To open up our eyes in wonder.